Welcome to the Diversity at Work podcast, where we unpack what it's really going to take to close the gender gap in the workplace. Here is your host, leadership coach and diversity consultant, Andrea Jansen. This episode of the Diversity at Work podcast is brought to you by Ambitious Every Day. It is like having your very own leadership coach in the form of a journal to help you focus and take action towards your goals. It is the exact same process that I take all of my coaching clients through turned into a journal. If you're wondering what it's like to work with a leadership coach, this is the best way to try it out. It is only $30 and it absolutely works. So you can get yours on my website. It is ambitiontheory.ca. Hello, it is Andrea Jansen here and we are celebrating something very special today. It is the one year anniversary of the Diversity at Work podcast. We've spent a full year interviewing thought leaders in the diversity and inclusion space. And in honor of that, we are gonna be releasing our most popular episodes over the next few weeks. So sit back, relax, and enjoy. Hi, Reva. Thank you so much for coming on the Diversity at Work podcast. So I would love it if you could introduce yourself and tell everybody that's listening what you do. Sure. Um, thanks for having me, Andrea. My name's Reva Bond-Ramsden. I work at SAIT, so the Southern Alabama Alberta Institute of Technology here in Calgary, and uh, I'm the Dean of the School of Construction. Cool. And you're also getting a PhD, right? I am. Yeah, I'm doing um, my doctorate through Athabasca University. So it's uh, all on kind of environments like we're having right now at a distance. And uh, it's a small cohort and really enjoying it. That's awesome. Um, and you also are a champion for women who work in male-dominated industries. Can you tell everybody a little bit about WIT? Absolutely. Yeah. So on our campus, we have an association called Women in Trades and Technology, and we're made up of um, staff, students, alumni, industry partners, and um, it all started a few years ago. Some of our pipe fitting instructors um, noticed that uh, their female students could have uh, would benefit from more support, started having coffee, informal coffee chats, and uh, we've grown from there. Wow, that's awesome. So before you were the dean, before you decided to do your PhD, and before you became this champion for women, um, what was life like for you? Uh, how far back do we want to go, Andrea? <laughs> um, just go before kind of you started to become this kind of trailblazer, this kind of leader, this person that, you know, people look to for guidance. Um, sure. So uh, my background is industrial construction, and um, after I met my husband, we decided to be in separate industries, um, and so I gave up my construction career, and there was a posting in SAIT for an academic chair in the School of Construction, um, so that was about 10 years ago, and uh, I was lucky enough to get that opportunity. And uh, through SAIT, I've uh, been afforded many different leadership opportunities, different groups, um, professional development for myself and for our team and faculty. And um, it's, just, it's just really interesting to get to work with people as they're just starting their careers or changing career. 
and started to educate myself on what was missing and, and how I could make an impact in, in the workforce. And so as I got more involved in that, um, then I changed positions a few times and um, when I was in the School of Manufacturing Automation, I noticed you could feel the difference. There wasn't females around. There wasn't females in the lunchroom. There wasn't females in the hallway. Um, and so I got really interested in on why things felt different. And um, so I did a bit of digging and I ran some numbers on gender. Um, and when I ran the numbers, uh, learned that our student, female student population in the school was only 2%. Wow. Uh, 2%. Like you could count on your hand and that's why I felt the difference. And, um, and so I wasn't happy with that realization. And that's when I got really active in women in trades and technology. Um, and I realized that um, in my previous role, perhaps why there was so many female students was that we had a lot of female faculty. We had a lot of female leaders. Um, and so I started doing work on role models and social identity, um, started getting involved in the community. And once I started looking, um, there was all kinds of groups that were dedicated to to this work, to um, really changing the status quo and increasing female participation in non-traditional careers. That's so cool. So I'm really wondering, because you're not, it's not common for people to go straight to the numbers, to be like, hmm, I'm going to approach this from a data perspective. And I love that you said that. But let's like, what was going through your mind and what motivated you to start with the numbers? Um... Well, probably, you know, as I'm pursuing edu my own education, I'm, I'm realizing that facts just speak so much louder than anecdotes. And um, usually a feeling is just the beginning. And so when you're feeling something, I really wanted to dig in on like, is this just me? Am, am I just having a bad day? Like, why am I feeling this way? Um, and so I was looking for evidence to either contradict what I was feeling or I am uh, to substantiate what I was feeling. Um, and uh, I'd, I'd been part of other groups. So we have a women in science and engineering on our campus. And um, I get more from it as a mentor, I think, than our mentees it's kind of addictive work. Like the more you can put yourself out there and connect um, and hopefully, you know, make a positive difference. Um, I, I wanted to have a strong message. And, and so digging into the data um, has, has just spoke volumes. And, and um, it's been something that I can bring up to senior leadership here on our campus is, you know, this isn't just me. This is the numbers telling us that there's this huge gap. And so what did the senior leaders say when you brought that up? Um, so, so what we did on our campus, um, I put a 12-month plan together around our women in trades and technology, uh, and I went to our VP external, and I said that we wanted to host an International Women's Day. And um, I shared with her the numbers. Um, and just as in the School of Manufacturing, there was only 2% female, in some of our other schools across campus, health and public safety, the numbers were the exact opposite. It was 90% female and only 10% male. And so the, the gender gaps 
are, are seen across Canada um, and sometimes it's flipped. And so, so then the question, you know, the questions I had were why, why is that happening? Um, what socially, culturally do we think of um, gender and careers that have led us to where we're at today? Um, and so the VP external, she was very supportive um, and we had a, a great International Women's Day on our campus and that started to bring awareness um, to every level on our campus and, and is going to serve us well for, okay, what's the next steps? How, how do we make a positive change here? I love it how you just started with curiosity. You didn't come, you didn't try to overanalyze or try to come with a solution. It was just about like, okay, I'm curious. I'm going to look up some more information. I'm going to find out more. I'm going to bring more people on board and I'm just going to take action. And it wasn't like you had this big grand plan of how things are going to shake up. It was just that you got started. So I really love the fact that you did that. Yeah, um, I guess another underlying reason for me was that construction for me was the first time I really felt like I belonged. And, and so I wish that for everyone of any gender that when you find a career, when you're in your job, that you feel like you belong. And I had done more traditional female roles. I had worked in tourism. I had worked in healthcare. I had worked in um, counseling. Um, but I never felt the same sense of belonging as I did when I finally landed in construction and and so I think it's gender neutral and so how do we just um, allow women to have more opportunities so they have a wider breadth of what's possible so that they don't exclude themselves from something um, before they've given it a chance because they might be missing out on something really great I love that. So what are some reasons why you talked about people excluding themselves? So what are some reasons that you see that happening, even just at the um, student level when people are studying? Oh, for sure. Um, I'm from a small rural community and my parents, my dad was a farmer um, and it was preached to me. I was going to go to university, going to go to university. And, and so before I was even old enough to make choices, my window had shrunk. And so you're focused on university and you're not thinking about all the other careers and companies and um, industries that are possible. Um, and a big part of that was the people in front of me. And so the only women I knew that worked were teachers, nurses, um, a banker, and they weren't, you know, the manager, they were the teller. Um, and so those were my role models. Those were people I was looking to. And um, uh, as I'm, I'm looking at how people choose a career, it really starts with if they see themselves in that career. And how we do that is we look to the people around us. We look to the environment we're in to help us make those choices. Okay. So when you're in a male-dominated industry, so like you said, that first number you pulled, 2%, yeah. where do you even start? Because there's not a lot of role models to even look to for help to even get started. So where did you get started? Um, so I started just emailing colleagues and saying, hey, do you want to get involved? Did you know this, this group on campus? And do you want to come to a meeting? Um, and it started out with seven people coming to the meetings regularly, and then it grew to 20. Um, and so we're just having having candid conversations um, and as you 
kind of disclose your experiences out in the field. Um, there's a lot of commonalities there. And um, thankfully, you know, with the Me Too movement and everything else, just those things aren't acceptable anymore. And I realized, you know, 20 years ago, I probably accepted a lot more than I would today. Um, and so anything we can do to just make it better for the next generation so that they don't even have to deal with those issues. Mm -hmm. uh, I think it's important for us to do that. Um, and then we started working outside of our Institute. So we work with um, the Calgary Catholic and the Calgary um, public school boards, and they started coming to our meetings and how do we get this to the grade nine level and, and how do we influence people even younger before they're 18 making career choices. So is it like you're building these role models for the next generation it's like you know what we're starting with this two percent so like let's just see it sounds like you see like let's get everybody i know on deck and then now you're just going younger you're like okay i'm gonna get these grade nines involved and then it's like okay now i'm gonna get the grade twos involved and then it's like literally like you're creating role models as you go and one's just like one step ahead uh, absolutely um my daughter my daughters are in elementary school and um, what what I tell our grade nine students, so we actually host over 800 grade nine girls on the state campus once a year and we let them try non-traditional careers. So they get to go into the welding shop, they get to go into the wood shop, they get to go um, into a mechanical uh, lab. And uh, I tell those grade nine girls that to someone in their life, they're already a role model. And to my young girls that are in elementary, you as a grade nine student are their role model. Um, and uh, we're lucky enough to have um, really strong alumni that I've connected with and second year students that come into the class for those grade nines and are their role model. Um, so you're absolutely right. It's a, it's a trickle down effect. And just where you are at life, there's always somebody ahead of you and there's always someone behind you. And so it's that pay it forward kind of mentality. I love it. I love that you embody this and you are literally like the living, breathing example of abundance and playing it forward and just recognizing that you don't have to wait for this magical person to come in and transform. It. It's like you just use what you have and you look to the people that you know and they can give so much value. So thank you for sharing that story. I'm wondering, were there any roadblocks on the way for you? kind of creating this momentum and building this kind of culture that you have that you've created uh for sure um state's a really large institute and and so for a while the wit association was kind of homeless on our campus um we weren't a student club so we didn't fit there um we weren't trying to just tailor to one school so we didn't fit there um, and so it took a bit of time to get our our foothold um, and then we were lucky enough to get some industry sponsors as well um, to make that happen um, and I, th I think we're we're lucky enough that we are in an educational institute because we do have the opportunity to connect with vast stakeholders and so it made sense for this kind of association to live within an educational institute um, because we do have that that large network um, you know in in my own personal career roadblocks um, definitely occurred in industry so i remember um, being in the office and begging to be able to go out onto a job site 
and and telling them like no I can do it and the manager saying well you're gonna have to change your shoes you know and I'm like fine yeah what kind of what kind of shoes do I need um you're gonna need need steel-toed boots and I'm like okay I'll go buy some like um it was really interesting um the most minor barriers that that um people would put in front of you to try to deter you from pursuing something that you And I wondered if people didn't even know that they were doing that. Like they were just looking at your shoes, right? Because you're always yeah. in the office, right? You're wearing these high heeled shoes and they're like, for them, it was like, I'm not going to ask her so, yeah. because she's wearing those shoes. She's not going to like making all these assumptions about you not having the shoes or there's not an extra pair in the office for whatever reason. And then it just, you're held back for that reason. And it's like, okay, I'll just go to Mark Shark Warehouse at lunch and pick up some boots and here we go. Or even on the way to the job site, you could stop off and grab a pair, which is like a tiny little barrier, but it's like when you're not aware of it, it's just, it can hold people back forever. For sure. And, and that's what it was. It was a lot of assumptions and, and not asking questions. And so it's important um, for people to be their own advocate. Um, and to kind of um, find out from people. So sometimes you got to be a bit of a detective and find out why am I not being offered that opportunity? Um, and, and sort of really reflect and say, okay, how can I put myself in a position where I can be offered that opportunity? What, what am I presenting to the world that someone else is doing better or different than I am? I feel like this roadblock that you face, like just kind of these little roadblocks and this curiosity, it fueled it for you and now you're kind of like taking that curiosity and it's become almost like your secret weapon and you're using it for good you're using it to impact more people so I think it's a really cool kind of learning experience <laughs> I can see that it kind of shaped you and kind of made you into the leader that you are today yeah for sure I think a healthy amount of curiosity um, is good for for anyone because um, like I said people don't just hand you opportunities you've got to ask those questions um, and and really put yourself out there to get those offers yeah so I talking about asking for opportunities so now you're the Dean of the School of Construction how does that feel to kind of have, you know, put yourself out there, gone through all of these different industries, and now you're the one in charge? Um, how does it feel? Uh, I'm not going to lie. It feels pretty good. <laughs> um, and it, it was in my plan. It, it wasn't an accident that, that I ended up here. Um, it happened sooner than, than I thought it might. Um, so that's really exciting. Um, but I've always, I've always had a plan of where I want to end up and the kind of work that I want to do. Um, but I've also haven't let the position that I currently hold limit the work that I do. Um, and so women in trades and technology, you know, it was a volunteer opportunity. It's a on the side of my desk kind of project. Um, and it turned into this movement. Um, and I didn't think that, oh, well, my, my current position doesn't allow me to do that work. Um, what, what I do instead is I look at, okay, what kind of work do I want to do? How do I think I can make a difference? Um, and so I don't let title or position prevent me from doing that work. I love it. Okay. So like, that's exciting. So congratulations on this promotion. Thank you. Um, so I want to know a little bit more about the numbers. So you talked to me about that first number you pulled the 2%. That sounds really um, depressing. But what are some <laughs> more general numbers that you can see kind of like, I'd love to know the trend about people coming out of school and then women being successful in industry and 
are people falling off? Are people joining later in life? I'd love if you could just give an overview. Don't get too bogged down by the details, but just overall, like what's happening um, in construction, in the trades with kind of like from taking it in school to being successful. Um, sure. Um, so, so we find that people join the trades. It's not typically their first choice. And so they're coming to the trades later in life. Um, and so the average age of a trade student is actually 25. And, and so that leads us to believe though, well, that wasn't their, their first choice. And so maybe they've tried college, a more traditional degree path, or maybe they've worked in retail for a number of years. Um, and they're, they're looking for, for something more. Um, and the trades is kind of this hidden gem of the pay is pretty good. Um, and the work is really meaningful to, to make something with your hands, to be able to produce and see the project that you're working on. Um, it's, it's really high impact work. Um, and people assume that it's not challenging or not technical and nothing could be further from the truth. Um, there's a lot of calculations, a lot of coordination, safety issues. It, um, you know, some of these projects are very complex projects. And so to be a team member on those um, gives people a lot of joy. Um, and so once people join the trades or start working in construction, um, they typically stay and they stay for a really long time. And so the age of retirement in construction is uh, much older than the Canadian average. Um, and so to me, that indicates that they don't want to leave. They yeah. love it. Do. They want to stay in it and they, they feel they're making an impact and, and so they stay. Um, but we know that baby boomers are a huge um, amount of the population and there is going to be a gap in the near future. And so what that spells is a lot of opportunity. Um, and so there's never been a better time to explore a career in the trades, to explore a career in construction um, and try it on for size and, and get involved because uh, within the next five years, there's gonna be huge opportunities. And so if you can get in now, learn the basics, um, there, there's a lot of opportunity for progression um, and, and to continue working in that field. Wow, that's really interesting because I would not have expected that. I would have expected to people for people to drop off after a little while, but people like once they're in, they love it because it's a great job, it's lucrative, they can progress. It sounds like it's an exciting career for people. It is. And, um, you know, the only reason I, I left was because of, of family reasons. Um, and that is the reason we see women leave the trades or not progress all the way to their journeyman ticket um, is because of family reasons. And and so employers, companies need to be aware of that, that um, good child care and the fact that we're the ones who carry the, the babies um, impacts our career path, our career progression. And so there's opportunities for construction if they want to have more women, have a more diverse workforce um, to really address those shortcomings. Um, and the interesting thing is that that also benefits your male workforce because guess what? Your male workforce have kids too. Um, and so as we address these gaps, it, it really is to the benefit of everyone. Okay, let's talk about that a little bit more, the benefit of everybody. So like, what do you see? So you work with these students, you work with men, you work with women, and tell me like some stories that you've seen of kind of like diversity being better for everybody. 
Sure. So um, this year was um, our fourth period of auto body program had 20% female in the class. Um, and what that meant was there was three females out of 16. Um, and so still just a handful of women, but it was profound. And so the faculty knew so how many I would, do you normally have like zero. Oh, zero. So, okay. Zero. Okay. So usually um, women drop off at about second year because they have family commitments, right? They, okay. they have children, um, maybe they haven't worked for a couple years, and so then it's hard to get back into the workforce. And so instead of continuing down the apprenticeship path, they do something else um, because they feel like it's too difficult to get back into it. Um, and so typically um, there aren't female journeymen auto body. They, they drop off at year two. Um, and so this was really unique that we had three females. And so what the class did as a whole is they wrote a story. They wrote a collective story. And when the conversation started happening, what was really interesting was that the men in the class had the same stories and the same uncomfortable feelings when they encounter um, inappropriate behavior in the workforce. And so, when when a female colleague is you know never offered that um, that great opportunity, it's always handed to the man. Or um, I mean, I've got stories of females. There's no female washroom. Could you imagine you're at yeah. work and there's no female washroom? And that is still so common. Um, and, and so you wonder why women don't stay. Well, goodness, if you couldn't even go to the washroom, how long are you going to stay working at that company? Yeah, it's awkward every day. Like how many it's times so a day? Awkward. 10 times a day. <laughs> so, so you're going to go work somewhere else. Easy decision, right? Yeah. So, so this auto body class shared these stories. And the impact of singling somebody out and not treating them fairly has just as much impact on the bystanders, on the people that witness it, as the people that it's happening to. And so these men really rallied. They had just as many stories and experiences as the females in the class. Um, and so they wrote this collective story. It's beautiful. Um, and it just it just built such camaraderie between them and it really shaped and changed their perspective. And so I know when this group goes into the workforce, they're going to now have a voice and they're not going to stand for injustice and, and those just microaggressions, those side comments that we think are a joke, um, but are just inappropriate. Um, they, they're going to be empowered now to say something and, and let their manager or supervisor know like, hey, I didn't really appreciate that. I, you know, please don't do that again. Um, and so that was really powerful to know that just having a discussion um, is going to help change how they present themselves in the workforce. I love that. And it's just such a minor, like three women. That's not I know. a lot of women. And it's literally like the, it's, I love it how the voices became collective where everyone participated in their, like, it's almost like those women just showing up into the class, like empowered the men to actually speak up and recognize, you know what? I have a voice in this too. Yes. Yeah. I exactly. love it. And so that's a great example of where diversity and inclusion benefits everyone because the gentlemen were able to present themselves to a higher standard because the group decided, you know, this isn't acceptable. And so everyone's professionalism was raised just and by I, having that conversation. Yeah. And I think about these companies who are hiring these people. So to have somebody with that kind of higher level of professional standard 
coming out of school, like what's the, what's the opportunity for that person in their career, but also what's the opportunity for the company to leverage that talent? Absolutely. Yeah. And, and that, that middle, that space of coming from the trades into coordinator, um, junior project manager role, sometimes that's the most difficult transition to make. And it's the most difficult difficult transition for companies to fill. And so if you have a desire to go in that path, like your, your opportunities are endless. So there's opportunities. That's really exciting. Cool. So what kind of things, so thinking about this work that you're doing, you're kind of paving the way for more women to work in the trades. So what are kind of one or two things that organizations can do if they do want to recruit more women? Um, they can actively recruit more women. <laughs> so it sounds obvious. Um, but I think some companies are nervous or not willing to put themselves out there in that way. Um, definitely when you have your HR practices through the interview practices and how you're screening for your resumes, um, being really conscious of the unconscious biases that, that can sometimes happen. Um, you know, when you come across a name that you can't pronounce, do you read the whole resume or do you skip it and go to the next one. Um, I've, I've had stories from students that, you know, choose to use an abbreviation of their name because it's more gender neutral, um, just because they feel more comfortable and that they'll be given a chance. Um, you know, instead of using Alexandria, you use Alex, um, mm. those, those sort of things. Um, and whether it's true or not, they, they feel more comfortable doing that. And so I don't think the work will be done until, um, you know, people don't feel the need to, to do that. So your students are already recognizing that they are at a disadvantage and that unconscious bias is there. So they're aware of it, even just at the, when they're in school. So they're already doing stuff to overcome it, which yeah. they're hustling, they're doing it, which it's great that they're figuring out a way over this barrier to get themselves in the door. I do like that tenacity, that persistence, but it's kind of depressing that they're doing that for sure like, and, and it's yeah it's not just the trades it's engineering positions yeah. junior positions um, and you know some companies are starting to put in quotas where they they are consciously making um, a movement towards uh, having a more diverse and a more balanced workforce um, and and there's lots of debate on if that's the right approach or not Mm -hmm. It's like, well, time will tell, right? We have to do it and see what happens. Yeah. Yeah. There's a, there's a movement on, um, you know, we've been measuring the numbers and, and actually um, within the last three years, it, it hasn't, we haven't moved the needle at all. So we mm -hmm. haven't increased the number of women in non-traditional careers. And so why are we at this standpoint um, and, and what are the things we need to do to really move that? Yeah, it's almost like we've done what we need to do and now it's time for the next thing. Like we need to take it to the next level. Maybe we need more people on board. We need a different approach or something else needs to be added. For sure. So almost and like that's... you've taken, yeah, like what you can do as far as you can and then now it's time for the next level. Yeah, and I think um, the, the first step was bringing awareness to it, but I think the next step is bringing story to it and putting faces to the numbers. Um, and it goes back to, um, 
women more so than men really need to feel that connection and so they might not identify someone as a role model if they don't feel a connection with that person mm-hmm. um, and and so how we shape that and how we tell those stories is is really important and and I think really going to start to move the needle forward again so there's opportunities there so it's almost like amplifying kind of what you've done even more for sure yeah Okay, cool. So one question I have is I know when people start learning about the gender gap, so people listening, um, it's overwhelming. And a lot of times when I talk to people, the first reaction is um, they're like, it's not my problem. It's somebody else's problem. So a company will be like, oh, you know what? We don't, we don't have a lot of women. Then it's like, okay, well, we need to recruit more women, but, but the school is not producing enough graduates. So like, I can't do anything until the school solves it. And then the school is like, oh, well, we can't get the women hired. There's not enough positions. So we can't do anything until they do it. And then it's like men are like, I don't know what to do. Um, I don't know. I don't know what the problems are. So I can't do anything. And the women are like, I'm trying as much as I can. But like, there's only so much I can do. And it's one of these things that it's like, it's everybody's problem, but then it becomes nobody's problem and nobody's responsibility and nobody takes action. So can you tell me kind of what your experience is um, in kind of that it's whose role is it to solve the gender gap? For, for sure. So um, as I've gotten more involved with women in trades and technology, and we've been doing more presentations across the city with other organizations, it's really funny because sometimes there's people in the room and their questions are, okay, what are you guys doing about it? Like, what's your next step? And then we, we, we flip it back on them and we go, well, our next step is the fact that we're here in front of you guys today. <laughs> and so the question you need to be asking yourself is exactly that. What are you going to do different to help move this forward? Um, and so it's really been that network and that realization that, oh, if I'm not doing something to contribute in a positive way, then I'm actually part of the problem. And so we have to actively be part of the solution or just by nature of doing nothing, we are a part of the problem. Yeah, absolutely. Um, and, and so, and it's really funny, um, you know, not to pick on the men, but they'll say, well, you know, um, okay, yeah, I'm going to let my female uh, apprentice know about this program. And, uh, and then the response is like, well, how about yourself? Would you <laughs> like to attend a meeting? Um, because we need strong male role models as well, male supporters, um, because women can't do it on their own. So even if all the women in Canada got on board and tried to make this happen, without men, it's not going to happen. Yes, um, so... It, we all need to work together. We all need to work together. So if like there's a man listening and he's in, he's like, you know what? I want to start, but I have no idea. I'm intimidated to go to this meeting. Like it's all women. People are going to judge me. I don't know. It's weird. They're getting kind of all caught up in their head and they're, they're not knowing how, what to do. So what is the best like first step for a man listening? That's like, you know what? I want to step up. I want to figure out what my part could be. What, what could a good first step be for them? Um, so I would say come, come to a meeting, get involved, but, but it's even simpler than that. It's, um, you know, uh, it, we joke about it, but in construction, it's still the old boys club. And why is that? Because all the old boys still go out for lunch and there's no women invited. And so it's really simple. Invite a woman to come for lunch, right? Invite a woman. <laughs> 
So that pro that's it. That's it. Okay. And have a conversation. Ask her some questions. Listen I love it. That's, that's it. easy. Well, yeah. that's easy. It's not scary. Just invite a woman, maybe two. Yeah. Yeah. To join the group. Like that's it. <laughs> okay. I love it. So thank you for that. Um, yeah, I was going to ask you like what people can do to take action in the next 24 hours. Cause I'm all about taking action and doing your part because if you overthink it, you're never going to do it. If you're like, Oh, who should I ask for lunch? What restaurant should we go to? If you over and like, it's never going to happen. It needs to happen today at lunch. Just grab a couple women and be like, Hey, I'll treat you to lunch today. And yep. I feel like that would be a great first step for people. Yeah, absolutely. And so if people want to learn more about SAIT or learn more about WIT, how do they do that? Uh, so we've got our email address now. It's wit at SAIT.ca. So that's W-I-T-T -T at S-A-I-T dot C-A. And uh, through that email, you can connect with the group. You can sign up for um, our events or just to receive our newsletter, which we send out bi-monthly. Um, which any level that you want to connect, we'll, we'll keep that connection going. Um, we have some great content now from our International Women's Day. And so we're working on getting a website presence and, and getting that up there. Um, and if you're local to Calgary, there, there's lots of opportunity to work um, closely with your K-12 system. And, um, and we connect with them, like I said, through grade nine girls um, coming to campus. We have our career exploration centers. So that's grade eights that come to campus, males and females. Um, we have our summer camps. And we have some summer camps that are just for girls. And so if girls want to be with other girls so that they feel more comfortable, they can do that too. They can explore wood trades as a whole group of girls. Um, and so we've got all kinds of different options. We'll meet people where they're at, um, just get them to explore. And uh, like I said, experience something different, something you wouldn't thought was possible. So they just have to email WITT at SAIT.ca and they'll get on the email list and they'll be hooked up with everything. Absolutely. Okay, awesome. Thank you so much, Reva, for sharing these, your stories with us and inspiring curiosity. I just love that about you is that you love to be curious. You just want to ask questions and that curiosity has really led to you being successful and you being that role model. So thank you for that. For sure. Thanks, Andrea. Hi there. Before you go, I was wondering if I could ask you a huge favor. Can you click on iTunes and give the podcast a five-star review and also a comment? This would mean the world to me. It also helps us to spread the word about the podcast and attract higher profile guests. We want to be able to deliver thought leadership around diversity and inclusion every single week and having more reviews on iTunes will help us to do that and help us to keep the show going for free for you. So please head to iTunes right now, give us a five-star review and leave us a comment. Thanks so much. Mm -hmm.